But then I remember there was a time where I was playing a lot of concerts and I got really tired and I was like, I don't know if I'm cut out to do this at that rigorous uh, pace like someone like Trifonov would. And I was never probably ever as busy as Trifonov is, but I was like, I have different unique talents and I'm going to work towards those. And um, whether it's just distribution or marketing or whatever, I think that's where you have to start looking is what are you good at? And what could you offer that is unique or not necessarily even unique because I'm a piano teacher. You know, that's not unique at all, but I'm presenting it in a unique way and I'm distributing it in a a more unique way than a lot of people do. So that's where the uniqueness comes in. So that's kind of my strategy behind out innovating. It's not saying, oh, I'm so much better. It's, can I do something different? And could I offer something unique? Hi, I'm Ben Caplow, and welcome to All Keyed Up. Thanks so much for listening. Today, I spoke with Josh Wright. Billboard number one artist Dr. Josh Wright has delighted audiences across the United States and in Europe. The Washington Post described him as a pianist possessing, quote, rarer gifts, touch, intelligence, and the ability to surprise, end quote. He performed his debut recitals at Carnegie Hall and the Kennedy Center in 2014. His self-titled album, Josh Wright, topped the Billboard Classical traditional chart just three weeks after its release in April 2011. He also performed at Dolby Theater in Los Angeles as part of America's Got Talent Season 9. Josh served on the piano faculty at the University of Utah from 2016 to 2021. Josh earned a Doctor of Musical Arts degree from the University of Michigan. He earned a Master of Music degree and a Bachelor of Music degree from the University of Utah. His principal teachers are Dr. Logan Skelton and Dr. Susan Duhlmeyer. He has also studied privately with concert pianist Sergei Babayan. Josh is married to Dr. Lindsay Wright, who earned her Doctor of Musical Arts degree from the University of Utah. In addition to performing, Josh is passionate about teaching. He has created numerous online video courses to help students of all ages and abilities improve their technique and musicality. These can be found on YouTube and on his website at joshwrightpiano.teachable.com. In this episode, we talked about entrepreneurialism and how it overlaps with teaching piano. We talked about Josh's online courses and the inspiration for them, the influences he's had from listening to business podcasts and reading business books, branding, marketing, ways to think about target audiences, and the value of being innovative and finding your niche. I hope you enjoy. Josh Wright, thanks so much for coming on the podcast today. Thanks for having me. Today, we're going to talk about teaching and entrepreneurship. So normally when people think of the phrase teacher, what they imagine is an in-person group or private lesson, which I know you do, but you've kind of carved out a niche as someone who teaches piano digitally through a lot of courses and programs, and you've achieved enormous audience sizes through these four programs that I want to talk about. So there's Pro Practice Piano Academy, the Masterclass Series, your podcast, and your YouTube channel. And I know the YouTube channel has over 160,000 subscribers. So for some of our more uninitiated listeners, can you give us a basic sense of the common threads across these programs as well as the distinctions? Sure. So I started my YouTube channel, which I just called Josh Wright Piano TV back in 2009, um, mostly to make my own students a bit more efficient in their practice sessions, such as, okay, go practice long, short, long, short rhythms with the Hannon. And then I'd come back the next week after showing them and they would be doing 
you know, some other weird variation. So I could say, go watch that video throughout the week and it would just make them more efficient in their practicing. But then soon at the end of each video, I would say, uh, you know, if you have any questions, email me. And soon I was getting requests from pianists all around the world. So it turned into this really fun project. I wasn't necessarily all that consistent with it. Um, but you know, in 2012 or 13, I started to get a lot more consistent with it because the channel was growing a lot. And I think it was 2014, one of my private students said, look, I would love if you could make a series. It could be paid. Um, you can charge me for it. I don't care. But where you take me through all of Claire de Lune, for instance, uh, you know, 30 minutes to an hour, you're going to tell me different fingerings, you're going to show me interpretation ideas, you'll show me um, technical exercises that I might use on different sections. And so I brainstormed with my wife and friends and we came up with pro practice because I wanted it to not be inaccessible. It's like, this is how professionals practice. And now I'm not anywhere close to the best professional pianist, but I've had such great training that I do know quite a few tips on how to practice efficiently. So I've, I owe that all to my teachers. They're amazing. Susan Duhlmeyer, Sergei Babayan, and Logan Skelton. Uh, those three have just completely changed my life. So I started this series and I really hit it off hard. I started with 20 videos in 20 days um, of full length tutorials uh, with double camera angles. It was really intense to prepare for that and produce it. And I was just learning how to use Adobe Premiere Pro, you know, the video editing software so I could do the multiple angles because Apple's iMovie didn't have the right capabilities. It was very intimidating, but I started them off at a few dollars uh, each and pretty soon people loved it. And they started uh, emailing me a bunch of suggestions for new repertoire. And it's turned into this giant project that I anticipate uh, continuing for many, many years. Um, we have throughout the whole Pro Practice Piano Academy, nearly 20,000 people have signed up now um, for either the full course or single videos or the free Pro Practice pack that I put out during COVID. And it's just turned into a great project. Um, about three years after that, uh, one of my students said, okay, uh, you know, I get all my ideas from my students a lot of times. He said, I love pro practice, but it's just repertoire and exercise videos. And yeah, you go really into great detail with those. But let's say I'm playing a piece that you haven't covered in pro practice, and I need just a quick help with that. But I don't want to book a lesson or say that a student can't afford your lesson rates, but they want to be part of this kind of mastermind type group. Why don't you make something like that? So I was like, okay. Uh, that sounds more like a masterclass type setting. So I just called it the VIP masterclass series. And that is where I post a weekly video. And just last year, I started also posting a weekly practice session as well, a guided practice session. So each week I field a question from a member of the group where they write in, and it could be any piece as long as it's public domain pre-1924. And uh, they can say, you know, I'm struggling with bars 8 through 20 on this Chopin waltz. Can you help me? Um, I Just the other week we did the uh, Opus 18 Chopin waltz. I believe that's the correct opus, the B flat. And she was having a, a hard time with all the repeated notes. So we spent the whole video going over repeated notes. So 
that's what the VIP Masterclass series is. Both Pro Practice and VIP have over 400 videos in there now. So it's just a giant library. Um, and then occasionally I'll do podcast episodes. You'd mentioned that, but that's just more of a pet project where sometimes people will email me and I was like, I really don't want to type out the answers to this. So I'll just do it in a podcast form and so we can all learn together. So it's been a it's been such a journey to create all of this online content, but it shows me the power of online distribution. I mean, when I post one video, it can reach thousands and thousands of people versus a one-on-one -on -one lesson, which is more meaningful, I think, uh, you know, for that one student, but you're reaching one student at a time versus thousands. Now, that's not to say I don't still teach. I still teach. I, I love it. I really love all of my students I teach right now, but I have found that the online format has given me a lot greater power of distribution to a larger audience, which I just think is so cool and a lot of fun. And I think it is the future. It's absolutely the future. That's interesting to hear you say that it started for several years really as a project for your students. That reminds me of how on one episode you were talking about how you got sick and tired of explaining the same concepts over and over. <laughs> so you just made a video explaining the concepts and then you said to your students, okay, watch this video I made. That reminds me of a lot of people in a lot of fields who now have wide audiences started out doing it just to solve a problem in their own life. Um, like I had Daniel McFarlane on this podcast who made the Supersonics Piano Method, and it started out as just him writing pieces for his own students, and that went on for several years before it became this big thing. And I also watch a lot of Shark Tank, and a lot of guests on that show who have very successful products will say something like, I started out just making this for my kids or you know, for my backyard or something, and then who knew it blew up? So there's this common thread of having something start just you. as something you do for your own life. And then before you know it, it blows up into this big thing. So that's excited that you've been able to have a similar thing happen with you. Um, going on this idea of, I was mentioning Shark Tank, I imagine you're inspired to be where you are today by a wide range of influences. So on the one hand, there are the musical influences like your teachers, such as Sergei Babayan and several others who you just mentioned, and our listeners can access your materials for more information on those influences. But for today, I'm particularly interested in your business and non-musical influences. I've heard you talk about listening to entrepreneurial podcasts a lot and having an interest in that world. Can you talk specifically about how some of these non-musical business experts have influenced the way you conduct your courses and how you've ended up with this idiosyncratic teaching career and how you've used their their advice to grow the audiences for your programs? Sure. It all started, uh, I served a church mission for my church, and one of my friends from that mission said, you have to read uh, Crush It by Gary Vaynerchuk. Now, if you ever listen to Gary Vaynerchuk's podcast, he has like the filthiest mouth ever. So be warned, don't, don't show it to your little kids. But I read his book, his book's clean. <laughs> and that got me started off with this idea that, hey, social media is actually the future. And I've, I've followed him. I've read nearly all of his books. Um, I've listened to other great entrepreneurs, mostly um, like talking about mindset, like Tony Robbins, Ed Milet. Um, I've read a lot of finance books. Um, so if you're in debt, I would <clears throat> recommend Dave Ramsey's uh, Total Money Makeover. That really helped me to get some clarity with, uh, you know, paying off debts and being financially secure so I could, you know, purchase these beautiful instruments here, how to budget, how to 
um, you know, maximize your income, uh, different things like that. Uh, it, funny little anecdote there. I, I, I always have been fairly good with my money because I was so terrified of not being able to make music for a living. So when I was like 14 and 15 years old, I was reading books like, you know, Secrets of the Millionaire Mind by Harvecker or something. I can't remember. And all these different books like Think and Grow Rich by Napoleon Hill, because not because I wanted to be this rich multimillionaire, but because I was like, I will die if I can't make music for a living because I just love this so much. Um, so <clears throat> and then another great uh, finance book is The Simple Path to Wealth by J.L. Collins. So highly recommend that. Anyway, I'm getting a little off topic, but uh, in 2017, I went well, I think it was 2016, I was, I was starting to make quite a bit of um, side income from these courses. And I was like, this is pathetic. I'm just filming with my iPhone. And I had some nice microphones, but um, it was mostly just my, my iPhone. I was like, I really need to up the production quality. So my friend, uh, his name's Parker Walbeck. <clears throat> he runs a really successful YouTube channel and online course called Full-Time Filmmaker. Um, I was watching some of his tutorials and I said, hey, what do you think of the Canon 5D Mark IV. He's like, oh, that's a great camera. He's like, let's get you signed up for my course um, so you can kind of watch the tutorials. So I said, oh, that'd be great. So started watching his course and I was like, I need to build something like this because the way I'm distributing was like one-off downloads, like that they'd pay, you know, eight or nine bucks for a tutorial on my website and then they'd have to go download it. And then so many people are like, I lost the downloads. And I looked at his course and it was so well organized. So I went to dinner with him. I said, look, I've got, you know, at that time, maybe 100 or 150 tutorials. I can't remember how many it was, but, um, and they're, they're good quality tutorials. Like th this is good information. I've paid, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars throughout my life and my parents' money when I was a little kid to learn all of these skills, but my distribution totally sucks. What do you think? And he's like, I think you should make a course from beginner to advanced. And I was just, my first initial thoughts, like that's impossible. Like you can't do that online. But then I started kind of thinking outside the box. I was like, oh, maybe if I do more of like a supplement to live lessons, that's a little less intimidating. And then if someone really doesn't have access to a good teacher, they could use my course. And yeah, there might be some holes in it as I build this over the few years, but okay, great. My wife ended up writing a whole early beginner program. So starting from day one, and then I filmed all the videos. And then I've got all the way through a bunch of advanced tutorials. So every level in between. And it started to really take off. So I would say my biggest influence in my life, along with getting started with all those other entrepreneurial books, was my friend. And he, it was so funny. It, I think if I'm getting my facts straight, he's never told me this straight, but uh it was me, Brendan, by the way, who's a really good audio guy, and then <clears throat> one other, uh, I think, wedding uh, marriage counselor. I think we were all bugging him so much, like, how do you build the course on Teachable? What do you do here? What do you do here? That he's like, ah, screw it. I'm just going to make a course on this. <laughs> and so he made this amazing course with his brother called Course Creator Pro. And that course completely changed my life. I mean, it, it showed me how to take what I had already and make it into a very organized, very well thought out, uh, very well organized um, course offering. And I've continued to follow those guys. I'm still in the course, obviously. Um, but 
it's uh, it, they just come out with a lot of really good insight. Like, how do you do Facebook ads? How do you advertise on YouTube? What's the best way to create a thumbnail? What's the best way to um, do market research for your course and so forth? So I had already actually built all of it before I started their course. Uh, they just helped me with all of the distribution and organization. And that was like the be I think I got in on their very early bird pricing. It was like 500 bucks. I think it's like a thousand bucks now for their course. But it's like the best $500 I've ever spent outside of piano lessons. So yes, I'm sure you've definitely made back that $500 and then some. But I think it's cool that present in everything you do, there are all these very different influences floating around from the teaching influences like Sergey Babayan to the course creation content that you were just describing to Dave Ramsey, who you mentioned, and they've all kind of contributed. I want to talk about a specific topic that I'm assuming has come up in a lot of the business resources that you've reviewed viewed, which is branding. And this is something that's just as relevant to a public figure such as yourself as it is to some of our listeners who are maybe trying to create a website for their studio or a method book series they've created and generate attention. So there are some people who brand themselves as aligning with a specific perspective. So before you on this podcast, I had Edna Galansky and her thing, quote unquote, is touting the wonders of the Taubman approach. And most, although not all, of what she does is centered around Taubman. And in the non-musical realm, there are many political commentators who also their thing is representing one political ideology. And my impression of you, and you can tell me if you disagree, is that you're a bit more grab bag. I see a lot of different perspectives being offered. And although everything circles back to piano, the amount of topics you cover is extremely broad from thumb crossing to stage fright. So my question is, when you're thinking about branding for yourself and your courses, can you talk about what branding means to you when you're not restricting yourself to a specific ideology or even a specific set of topics? And can you talk about how you have all these different career offerings cohere into a palpable brand? Sure. I'll do my best because that's a really hard question. But the, the thing that I want present in all of my offerings is, look, I can trust this guy. Um, you know, he's an honest guy. I, I do my very best to always be honest in what I do in my career. Uh, I'm open. I'm um, accessible. Now, it's not like you can email me 10 million questions. And I'm going to be able to get back to you on everyone. It's not that type of accessibility. But, you know, I respond to like well over a thousand emails each month. Wow. You know? So it's a uh, it's a lot of it's a lot of work, but at the same time, so that's that's kind of the overarching brand is like, what's like my style? It's honest, it's approachable. I don't think I'm the greatest thing ever. I I know that there are pianists who are much better than me, but I also know I've got a, a unique skill set, and an ideology that I'm gonna share good information. A lot of people keep things really tight to the or close to the chest. I don't know if that's the right phrase. Um, really, yeah, it, they keep things a secret. And they're like, I'm not going to reveal my secrets because that would make you better than me, possibly. And I'm like, if my students can be better than me, I'm very happy. I just had a student play Beethoven Third Concerto um, with orchestra, and it was incredible. And I was so proud of him. And he can play. I've I've mentioned him a few times on my channel, but after two days of work on the Earl King, uh, the Schubert List transcription, I mean his octaves were faster than Evgeny Kissin's octaves, and he's 15 years old. Like 
it's just an innate skill that he has. It, it wasn't, I mean, I've taught him octaves techniques before that may have helped a little, but it's just something he has. And I love to see people uh, get to my level or even surpass that if if I can offer knowledge to help them get there, great. Because the ultimate examples of giving in my life have been those teachers, uh, you know, Susan Duelmeyer, um, I still go see her occasionally. She, yeah, I remember you saying that you still take lessons with her from time to time. Yeah, I'll always go play big repertoire for her before um, any big performance. She has like been like a second mom to me, given me so much of her time and expertise. And um, Logan Skelton at Michigan was the same way, always willing to help. And Sergey Babayan, I think, is like the warmest, most kind human being I've ever met maybe besides my wife he is like anyone who knows him loves him like I've never met anyone who didn't just love him because not only is he in my book the greatest living pianist I, I mean the, the the magic and the colors that he produces at the piano are mesmerizing better than anyone I know and yes I'm including all the greats in that it's a bold bold statement but he himself doesn't think he's the best. It's, it's, it comes from a humble standpoint. So I've tried to cultivate that into the quote unquote brand. Now, getting into like more of the nitty gritty <clears throat> branding, I, I want pro practice to be high quality. So I'm always trying to innovate my microphones, my setup, my lighting and everything. And if you look, the evolution of pro practice is very, very drastic. Um, you know, those first videos I filmed on a blue Yeti microphone um, with, you know, a crummy Canon camcorder and then the iphone was actually an upgrade i was like i should start filming with this it has a better camera and then i got the nicer 5d mark 4 and then i um and i've always done dual angles i just started doing a third angle so they could see my hands from the left as well as the right and i also have that like a view of the piano dampers so they can see what i'm doing with my oh pedal. i've never seen that before yeah yeah that's that's new maybe six months old so all my videos now have a triple uh camera view and no I'm not gonna put a camera on my foot it's just too ugly down there with all the cords and everything but but yeah like that like I want to have the highest quality <clears throat> looking videos and as much as possible the most informative videos with what I offer like I'm gonna get into the nitty-gritty details so like just the other day I was doing the let's see the uh, list Paganini etude number two and I go through like two or three different sets of fingering just for this you could do five four three two one one two three four five um that's okay I ended up liking one two four one three two one one two three four three I could always get just a tiny bit more clarity and that's something I learned through performing them last month so I was like look this is what I did before this is what I do now and these are the reasons why I go into explanations of why I do things not just do this do this do this so I want it to be like a very safe space I also do motivational quotes on Instagram and Facebook um I just want my brand to be a very informative, inspiring, like safe space where people can come to be inspired. I guess that would be my brand. Yes, it's piano heavy. It's 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 packed with information, but more than anything, I want people to feel like I can do this no matter what level I'm at. I want it to be accessible. I want to be um, a personality that makes them feel safe and uh, makes them feel encouraged because a lot of 
a lot of teachers in this space, like I said, are either secretive or they only cater to the most advanced. And it's like, how are you going to get advanced if you have no accessibility to good information? I, I get emails all the time from people saying like, uh, you know, if it weren't for your courses, I wouldn't be learning piano because I live in some remote uh, place in Scotland where like the nearest teacher is two hours away and I just can't afford to go take those lessons to your course. I'm just following along with that. And then there's other people like, look, I'm studying it. You know, I, I had a, a Leeds international competition prize winner in one of my courses. And he's like, I just like the extra information in your courses, which is why I signed up. I was like, dang, he's Talk probably a wide range of audience members. <laughs> so yeah, it's a, uh, it's, <clears throat> it's been a lot of fun though and i'm just really grateful for the audience and all they do to support my endeavors yeah i agree with that sort of openness philosophy kind of carrying through all of your videos it's the exact opposite of what i think has become a stereotype in which i experienced when i was visiting grad schools for music where people would practice and cover the windows of the practice room so no one could see what they were doing <laughs> i also do see the humility a lot in everything you do this is a small thing but one thing I really admire that I've seen in a few of your videos is when you're trying to demonstrate a point, you don't edit it out if you make a mistake. Like you'll play it wrong and go, oops, I messed up. I think that again goes to humility and it's not putting yourself on this huge, perfect pedestal above everyone else. Yeah, it's, it's, cr I think that's critical because, um, you know, I remember Bob Ion, he could usually master something in like 30 seconds, but it was kind of fun to watch him struggle for, you know, the first 15 seconds. Like if he didn't know a passage, he's so brilliant. But to see, you know, one of the world's greatest pianists not be able to do something right away gave me hope like, oh, he has to work at this too. It's much, much, much shorter time period for him to master it than me. But uh, I remember one of my friends at Cleveland, he performed on like a little luncheon with Daniel Trifonov and he's like, you know, the performance wasn't very good because this was a brand new repertoire piece for him. And I think he'd won the, the Chopin prize, maybe not the, the Rubinstein and Tchaikovsky at that point. I think it was between those two. And he's like, it, it was like a pretty bad performance and he was very disappointed in himself. And hearing stories like that isn't like, oh, yay, he messed up. It's not like you never wish for a negative experience for anybody at least i don't uh i like people to have the best experiences they can but knowing that they're human knowing that they mess up and i understand that like sergey babayan and daniel trifonov for me i might be that figure in someone who's a beginner or intermediate player uh, they might look up to me like i look up to those guys and for them to see me mess up and to not edit out and be to be vulnerable shows them, hey, this is a process for everyone. And if people only understood what it took to get something performance ready, I perform for my wife and daughter like at least 10 or 20 times before I even take it to like my dad or some of my piano students, I'll perform for them after like one of our Zoom lessons. And then after I perform for like 10 of those guys, then I'll take it to a public performance. But it takes a lot and it takes a lot of mistakes and trial and error to get it to the point that you need. And when people see that, when they see that process kind of unfolding before their eyes in one of these tutorials of like, okay, I still need to work on this. They say, oh, okay, this is the process that he has to go through. And I'll explain, this is what I'm going to do after this video to kind of touch that up even a little bit more. Then it, it becomes a journey and they're kind of along the journey with me and they're seeing, okay, this is what Josh is working on. Sometimes it can bite me in the butt because a student, 
you know, I've had students be like, well, I know that you struggle with this. And I'm like, well, I don't really struggle with that anymore. You saw me struggle with that in that little video. And sometimes I still continue to struggle with things. Like there's a couple uh, technical issues that I've had my entire life. Very, very specific, very um, like double thirds and standard. Yeah, I was angry. going to say, I remember yeah. one video where you were talking about double thirds. Yeah, yeah. I believe it was there's some fingering that still kind of gives you trouble from time to time because I think you were taught the wrong way. No, no, I wasn't taught the wrong way. It just, my hand feels more comfortable in an inverted fingering. So I like four, two, five, one versus four, one, five, two, or three, one, five, two, or three, one, four, two. My hand just doesn't like oh. those. And it's like, well, who cares? Just play them in the other fingering. But sometimes you can't get away with an inverted fingering with parallel uh, intervals like like in that Chopin uh, Nocturne, Opus 15, number one. You, you can't do an inverted fingering with sixths. It's just way too stretched out. So yeah, there's little things that still bother me, but they're pretty far and few between. Um, Few and far between, sorry. Uh, but at the same time, I keep working on those. And the fact that I still am working on those things, I'll tell my students, like, I'm working on this. or uh, And they're like, oh, that's good. I think that's um, something that is welcomed by a lot of people that, like what you said, like, oh, I, I saw that you messed that up and then you tried again. People tell me all the time, they're like, I like that about your videos. Now, I'm not purposely <laughs> messing up to be more endearing. But at the same time, it, it shows that you're But you human. could easily edit those out if you wanted to. Right. Yeah. And yeah. And sometimes it's just like a one time mess up and you're like, oh, like I don't ever mess that up. Let me try that again. But a lot of times I'll just leave it because or almost always I'll just leave it because it's like, OK, this is how I fix that. And and going through and explaining how you fix something with a, with a student <clears throat> is critical for them to understand the process that you go through. It's not like, oh, you guys are just beginner students and you've got all this stuff to learn. Like I still like I have like the pro practice technique series where we go through all skills, arpeggios, triads and inversions, seventh chords and inversions. And like, I still use almost every single one of those uh, practice methods that I outline in that. And I give that to like mid to late beginners, you know, the, those concepts. And I still use them to this day. They're very helpful. They're universal concepts. So I think that's important to remember. Yeah, I think it makes people a lot more inspired to want to try something themselves when they see that the experts in their field struggle too. I mean, you were talking about feeling relief from seeing Bob Ion struggle, even if it only took 30 seconds. That's kind of how I felt when I was younger, seeing Beethoven's drafts and seeing that for every amazing measure, there were infinitely more measures that were just X, X, X. Uh, that was <laughs> motivating for me, at least. I want to go back to earlier in your answer to that question. You were saying that you have a listener in a remote area of Scotland who probably couldn't find a local teacher all the way to one of the prize winners from the Leeds competition. So that gets me into the next business related topic I want to talk about, which is finding a target audience. So I was listening to this masterclass on building a podcast and the speaker was suggesting that at least from the outset, it's good to be really specific about who the target audience is, like being able to describe them in multiple sentences. And there are lots of programs out there like that. And that's one of the reasons why I admire Shelley. Davis's Piano Parent podcast because she's going for such a specific market of parents of piano students who want to help their children's learning. And yes, that's not remotely the only people who listen, but that's 
who she goes for, and she invites anyone else to listen to. In your case, though, you have this one video about scales that I've shown to my nine-year-old students, but then at the same time, you have videos that offer guidance on virtuoso pieces that are above my level. So that goes back to the grab bag approach that I was talking about earlier. So can you offer your thoughts on what a target audience means to you? And second part of that question, has your thinking about who you see your target audience as being evolved or maybe broadened over the course of your career as a public figure? Yeah, absolutely. It's a great question. And I think that uh, I've taken the opposite approach. I kind of put out such broad information and then I let the audience guide where it goes. Now, it's not like I'm just this puppet that's like, I'll do anything you ask me to. Um, I I take things down from my channel that I don't necessarily believe in or I've, um, you know, edited information or I even will say, look, in this old video, like for instance, one of the things in the pro practice technique series, I talk about high fingers. I still stand behind high fingers, but I stopped teaching extending the fingers up straight up in the air. I instead do high fingers, but with a curved finger instead. Because I noticed that students started to only hinge from that top knuckle rather than utilizing all three knuckles in their finger. And so I was like, I changed that. Um, and I've explained that in many videos. So I think that, uh, you know, you have to be flexible and you can evolve over time. For instance, I, at the beginning, catered a lot towards really advanced repertoire. And I still do that because that's what I'm working on and I want to document my journey and for those who are interested in that. But I've really upped my game with uh, like early beginner, mid to late beginner and intermediate repertoire. That that makes up at least half of the new content that I'm producing. So, uh, and also with the VIP Masterclass series. So I think I've let the audience in, to a degree, um, guide where the channel goes. Because, you know, for instance, I find certain concepts very fascinating that a lot of others wouldn't. So for instance, like the hot topics on my channel are scales, performance anxiety, memorization, those are really sight reading. If you look at any of those videos on my channel, most of the videos covering those topics have a decent amount of views. Whereas when I'm talking about like parallel intervals uh, in the Rachmaninoff elegy, I find that type of information really helpful because that was always a weak point for me is parallel intervals. And by the way, it's a weak point for a lot of pianists. I'd say, you know, 95%. That's not an easy, uh, that's not an easy, uh, concept and some people will say i have this trick that will work and it's the perfect way and it doesn't work always so <laughs> you have to figure out your own hand that's why i don't subscribe to certain schools of thought they're like we have the solution for everything it's like everybody has different hand everyone has a different way of learning and that's kind of the grab bag uh, approach that i've used over the years of like hey i just learned this new concept about this um for instance, one of my scales was feeling tight from over-practicing this passage in the Chopin Concerto, and I was like really struggling with it. And I went back and I watched some Josh Wright piano scales oh, videos. Oh, wow. Like, oh, okay, yeah, I forgot to do that in here. And then it loosened my hand back up. It's kind of funny. And I'm not saying I'm my best teacher. Well, I do think everyone is their own best teacher, but I'm not saying I've got all the answers. I'm just saying it was nice to have documented that uh, these different scale videos and different tricks that I've learned along the way to kind of make the process easier. So I can go back and reference those myself. And I would document, like I remember, I think it's called the wrist as the fourth joint. Um, that was after I took Schubert 
the Schubert A minor third movement to Sergei Babayan. And I was like, I'm going to forget what he said in this lesson. I'm going to document this uh, in this video and kind of show people what I learned. Um, that was a really expensive lesson, obviously, and it's it, priceless to me um, to have that info. But now I can go back and I can reference that. And he has such a wonderful attitude of sharing. He never cared. I guess some teachers would care and say, why are you sharing? I've had teachers do that before where I was like, can I share this concept I taught you? And they're like, well, I don't know if I'm comfortable with you sharing that. I'm like, oh, oh my, brother, this is the problem with the with the industry. So anyway, um, I, that was that was a long winded answer, but I hope that provides some insight. Yeah, I think that speaks to why being a teacher and performer don't have to be at odds with one another. Because what you're describing is a situation where watching your old teaching videos improved your ability to perform. Last thing I want to talk about before we go is that one advantage of your kind of innovative approach which isn't exclusively centered on private teaching or exclusively centered on being a touring pianist, is that it puts you in your own category and I guess reduces competition in a way. And so you've commented in many instances, and these are your words, not mine, <laughs> that there are many others who are stronger as performers or teachers than you, but have faced enormous difficulties in building their careers. And you've described in your podcast wanting to, quote, out-innovate, out-work, and outlast others. So I'm especially interested in out-innovate. I believe we might have a lot of listeners who also want to carve out a niche for themselves the way you have. Do you have any advice for anyone who's trying to find their own path that, as you have maybe plays to their strengths and could potentially dampen the impacts of any, I guess, shortcomings? Sure. Yeah, great question. Um, so yeah, I think I think everybody has uh, a niche that they can go into. Uh, they could either create that or they inherently have that. Some people are inherently really good teachers. Some people are not. Um, some people are amazing performers. Some people are are not. Um, I remember a very famous pianist. I won't name his name um, because I was so touched by his humility, but he's one of the most famous concert pianists alive today. And we had a question and answer with him. And I was like, how did you play this passage at the end of the Chopin Grand Polonaise? So for instance, I'll, I'll actually show it. You can watch my recording of that. It, it, it's it's pretty smooth, you know. But then this one, um, it goes from just straight octaves to, and this was, um, and it's still a tough passage, like to to break an octave down and then back up. Uh, it takes a little bit of agility to do that, and after enough practice, I got it. But uh, I remember he said, "Oh, I just cheat." I, d I just do broken octaves coming up. I was like, oh, well, that wasn't that inspiring. And then the next person asked, how did you build your career? It's such an amazing career. He's like, I want a competition. He's like, I don't have any advice for this generation. It was like <laughs> the worst, like the worst yeah, question to answer. I don't know if that would work today. Yeah. <laughs> so it goes to show everybody has their own strengths. So you should play to your strengths. My, my, okay. So going to the out innovate, um, my, and, and that's not an arrogance thing at all. What I'm, what I'm insinuating is if you can outlast people, if you just are stubbornly consistent and just like put in the work and persist through thick and thin, a lot of the competition 
uh, you know, I, sometimes I'll judge competitions or teach master classes to these young children that are like 12. I, I taught this girl, I think she's 14, and she played the Prokofiev Toccata as fast as Argerich, and it was clean, and it was like, I was just like, um, well, I don't know if I could play it like that. <laughs> so. yeah. I'm realizing in this interview that you work with a lot of brilliant teenagers. Oh, yeah. I mean, you said there was the other one who could do octaves faster than Kissin at age 15. I don't know where you find these teenagers. Yeah. I, I'm like, yeah, where, where, where are these kids learning this stuff? It's amazing. And so um, anyway, uh, what what I'm realizing, though, is that, um, you know, they, they have everybody has unique skills and a lot of times these kids will fizzle out, you know, they, they either go into a different career path or they burn out because they work so intensely that they get sick of it. And I think outlasting and um, outworking uh, can be a sign of success. And then the out innovation thing, I remember I was laughed at when I was like doing Skype lessons, people like, yeah, those are garbage. And it's like, as soon as the pandemic hit, everybody was emailing me like, how do you set up Skype lessons? Please help us. And I was like, I'm happy to help you. Like I give away all my knowledge because I'm I'm a pretty spiritual guy. And I'm like, when I die, I want the world to have as much of my knowledge as I can. It's not perfect knowledge. It's not like I've got all the secrets, but I wanna share as much of these processes as possible so that people can have that info, including how I set up my technology. So like I, I presented, it was awesome. Like last year, 2020, uh, Steven Spooner, he's a good friend. He studied with Logan Skelton for a semester or something. And we've crossed paths at different festivals and things. And um, he invited me to be uh, a part of this global piano summit. Now I was presenting on music technology, but guess who the other uh, faculty member were there? It was Robert McDonald, Alan Chow, uh, Sasha Starsevich. It was like, you know, three of the best teachers in the world. And here I am on uh, on that too. But it just goes to show that like, I, I can't teach like those guys can. I can teach pretty dang well, but those guys are the best in the industry. And it's it goes to show like, oh, Josh, like you have something unique to offer too. And I think that's what I mean by out innovating is like, I. so this microphone that I'm talking into, this is a Neumann TLM 103. It's about a thousand dollar mic. I tested, you know, probably eight different microphones before I settled on this one. I have a couple of AKG 414s inside the piano. I tested a bunch of those. I've tested mic placement. I've, uh, so I've tested like this ATEM Mini Extreme. I can do different macro settings with those like to get multiple angles on the spot in your interview or in interviews or in lessons or whatever. Um, I've gone through all the, uh, obviously this one's easy, the, the Zoom audio settings, but so many teachers, I taught this brilliant student the other day and he was on a phone and I said, how long have you been doing um, online lessons? And he's like, about two years now. And I said, has your teacher ever made you get a microphone? And he's like, no. And I was like, why? It's a hundred dollars. And you could use that to record yourself. So I've tried to, from a technological perspective, not only with my videos, but also just with my setup. And I have two hours worth of videos online about how to set this all up. If you can out innovate people just with whatever way, there are other people doing such cool things online that I'm like, I don't have the time for that or I don't have the desire, but man, I sure do enjoy watching their content. Yeah, you know, so if you have a unique skill set, you can become really invaluable to your industry, even if it's not the traditional, like I'm gonna go get a 
uh, get paid to play a concert. You can, like, are you a master video editor and could you service uh, other musicians by recording and editing all of their works and then maybe come up with some fun collaborative ideas for the future where you could work with some of those musicians? That's just one idea. One idea here, I'll throw it out there. I think somebody could make a lot of money doing this. I thought somebody could come up with like, piano accompanist pro or something like that you know some corny name but you could you could make tracks the, the reason i'm giving this idea away you know to put it out there is because i don't want to go do it sounds like too much work for me um, because i'm doing my pro practice and vip stuff uh but go make uh a course um with downloadable tracks for accompanists out of the italian like the most famous you know, I, I can't remember. I, it was like 12 years ago that I was accompanying, but it's like the Italian art song book or whatever it is. Go make a slow track, a medium tempo track, and a fast track for all of those, full tempo, and then go all the way slow. Hire a diction, uh, pr like someone who speaks many languages to go over the diction of each of those. A student could save so much time in their lessons doing that and that would be an invaluable tool that someone could create now marketing it and getting it out there that's a whole different issue but if you create something like that there will be a need for that and people will want that if they know about it so you know coming out with innovative ideas like that like i'm working on a couple of uh or one physical product right now that i'll probably be announcing here pretty soon of just something that so many people have said they've wanted and i'm working on possibly mass producing that stay tuned for that but i don't know but uh anyway um you know coming up with unique ideas you don't have to just follow the traditional path of like i'm gonna record the complete beethoven sonatas or i'm gonna play this concert and play with as many orchestras as i can because are you really um inspiring society by doing that yes you will absolutely inspire quite a few but are you gonna are you as good as daniel trifonov and if the answer is yes you should uh you should absolutely go into performing <laughs> but i learned early on that i'm i'm a good pianist i'm a good teacher but i don't think that i'm at that type of level nor do i want that lifestyle of constantly traveling that that was a big wake-up call because i'd always dreamed of being a touring concert pianist but then i remember there was a time where i was playing a lot of concerts and i got really tired and i was like i don't know if i'm cut out to do this at that rigorous uh pace like someone like trifonov would and i was never probably ever as busy as trifonov is but i was like i have different unique talents and i'm gonna work towards those and um whether it's just Distribu distribution or marketing or whatever, I think that's where you have to start looking is what are you good at and what could you offer that is unique or not necessarily even unique because I'm a piano teacher. You know, that's not unique at all, but I'm presenting it in a unique way and I'm distributing it in a, in a more unique way than a lot of people do. So that's where the uniqueness comes in. So that's kind of my strategy behind out innovating. It's not saying, oh, I'm so much better. It's, can I do something different? And could I offer something unique? So I hope that helps answer that question.
It does. This is a different category, but it sort of reminds me of Diaghilev, the one who created the Ballet Russe, who I believe started as a composer and he was okay at that and tried to go down all these different paths and everything he kept being okay at, but not necessarily one of the best. And so he thought, well, what am I good at? And that's when he realized he's great at these very interesting collaborations. And so he did this completely innovative approach to ballet where he brought together painters, musicians, dancers, and he became very well known for that and kind of in his own category because doing these traditional things didn't work out. That kind of reminds me a little bit of what you're saying. Final thing before we go, and I don't want to keep you any longer, but can you give everyone a sense of what you're up to now and where everyone can go to learn more about you? Sure. So yeah, I'm uh, I'm just learning a lot of new repertoire. <laughs> and I do private concerts and um, occasionally I'll post a recording online. Uh, but that's, I feel, critical for me to continue to be the best teacher I can be and and also the best performer I can be to keep my chops up, you know, you and, and to continuously train my mind. I remember um, Sergei Babayan once told me that he's like, how could you ever, basically, I'm paraphrasing, but he's like, how could you ever have the moral authority to teach piano really well if you yourself can't do it? And that always just that kind of stings, you know, you're like, I better get my act together, uh, you know, and make sure I'm always doing that. And he told me, he's like, the mornings are my time. I never teach in the mornings because that's when I get my best work done. And then I'll teach and, and he stays up into all hours of the night, still practicing and teaching. But, uh, you know, he's like, the mornings are my time. So carving out my own time to make sure I'm still developing my craft. And then I'm just continuing to do the online courses and some performing and uh, the online courses, you can go either to my personal website, and there's links there, it's just joshwrightpiano.com, or if you wanna go directly to the course page where I offer um, a bunch of different offerings at all different price points, starting at $9 you know, for a tutorial uh, on any of these pieces we've covered, all the way up to my premier course, which is called uh, Pro Practice Lifetime Access, which gives you access to every Pro Practice tutorial I ever make. Um, that is just joshwrightpiano.teachable Dot com. So T-E-A-C-H, like teach, able.com. And um, that has all my course offerings. And then if you want to listen to the podcast, which I don't, <laughs> I'm not nearly as consistent as you are, Ben, I just do them occasionally. Um, but uh, that's just the Josh Wright Piano Podcast. And then my YouTube channel, if you just search Josh Wright on YouTube, it'll come up. So Great. And I will link to that in the show notes. I also believe there's an offer for listeners of this podcast that they can enter the code podcast and get 20% off of the digital courses. Is that right? That is correct. Yeah. So if you if you're interested in any of those, just type in podcast at checkout and that'll give you 20% off. Um, and if you uh, if you have any questions, you can email me. My email is josh at joshwrightpiano.com. Excellent. Well, I think I've made it clear that I really appreciate you coming on and am a big fan. I've been watching your videos for quite some time now, and they're enormously influential on my teaching. I teach all the time, something like 55 students. Wow. And almost every lesson, I feel like there's some kernel of something from one of your videos. And I perform a lot, and the videos have been massively helpful to my technique, my teaching, how I explain things to my students, how I practice. So thanks so much for everything you're doing for the industry, and thanks for coming on the podcast today. Oh, thank you so much. That means a lot to me. And thanks for having me on today. And thanks to all of you for tuning in to All Keyed Up. I'll see you next time.